0: everyone, thanks so much for joining us today for Episode 8 of Season 2 of Revise and Resubmit. I'm Dr. Kim Bissell, the Southern Progress Endowed Professor in Magazine Journalism and the Associate Dean for Research in the College of Communication and Information Sciences at the University of Alabama. And I'm Dr. Annalisa Boland, an Assistant Professor in the Department of
1: Communication Studies, also at the University of Alabama and we both work in the Institute for Communication and Information Research, or the ICIR, at UA.
0: You know, Annalisa, when we have interviewed faculty members from the School of Library and Information Studies, and as we've discussed, this doesn't mean that we have faculty who are overseeing library book checkouts, or the restocking of books after they've been returned but I think it's an important reminder when you think about the second piece of that program information studies this is where we can get a really interesting look at the information piece of everything we do let's think about it we're always dealing with information sometimes correct information sometimes incorrect information
1: um you're right and this is one of the many things we'll be talking about in this episode with Dr. Lori Benici. We cover so much territory in today's conversation, but one thing that we'll be discussing is information-less behavior. Yep, you heard that right. Okay, so you might ask, what do you mean by (laughs) information-less behavior? Here's the answer in a context that we can all probably relate to. So in the last year, we've seen so much information online, on social media, and other platforms about the COVID vaccines that are uh, now available to some in the public. And along with this information, we've seen a lot of misinformation. So information behavior involves the sharing of information without mentioning the source of that information. And this actually is something that happens all the time, and it leads to this trickle-down effect of misinformation often being shared. And this is something that we like take points off for students, right? In (laughs) assignments, but I'm wondering how often I share information without mentioning the source and I don't wanna be informationless anymore.
0: As we'll hear from today's guest, Information is not information without human communication, and by that she means we all play a role in the information that is developed, created, and shared. With that, I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to Dr. Lori Benici, an associate professor in the School of Library and Information Studies. Welcome, Lori. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lori. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, before we dive into your research a little bit, we were doing a little bit of social media stalking, and we (laughs) saw that your bio on Twitter um, indicates that you are an outdoor adventurer and we were wondering if you can tell our listeners about maybe a favorite outdoor adventure you've had
2: oh gosh that's that's hard because I've had several um, <laughs> so many <laughs> yeah
0: um, well
2: probably one of the more interesting ones I had I, uh, down in Florida um, there's a little place it's about a, like a three-mile little circle which doesn't sound like much of an adventure three miles but (laughs) I was out with a group of people we're riding along this thing it's out in the Everglades and somebody says gator and so I stop and I put my foot down and I'm looking I'm like looking around I don't see anything and I turn and I look at them like a group of three of them looking at me and I go where and they're like (laughs) like about two feet from your leg of course I'm looking out right and I look down I'm like Oh, wow. <laughs> I just calmly put my foot back on the bike and pedaled away. I'm like, you know, you could have let me know just how close it was. <laughs> <But> <laughs> okay, okay. Close encounters. But yeah, that'll that'll get your day going. And then it can make you ride your bike faster.
1: <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I feel like I would not know what to do. And that would be terrifying.
2: Well, there's nothing to do but leave. <laughs>
1: exactly. Yes, <laughs> fighting and well, you know they right used there. to say
2: those those had no predator. They're like the king of the Everglades. But now we have pythons in the Everglades that kill gators. So you know, maybe at that moment Ooh. I would have wanted a python. I don't
0: know. <laughs> oh, that's sort of making me not want to go to the Everglades.
2: Though. <laughs> oh, but right. you should. It's one. It's it's one of the last beautiful, really natural places that you know affects our entire world ecosystem. It's, it's a really interesting place if you ever get a chance, despite the alligators and the pythons.
1: And the pythons, <laughs> right. right. Just don't go
2: by bite. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> so Lori, can you tell us um, and our listeners briefly about who you are and where you're from?
2: Okay. Well, um, I am a associate professor in the School of Library and Information Studies, of course, in the College of Communication, Information Sciences. Um, I consider myself, first and foremost, um, as a researcher, but I enjoy teaching, mm-hmm. of course. And um, I'm originally from Indiana, born and raised. Um, but if people kind of ask me where I'm from now, I say Florida, because I lived in Florida for quite a while. got my Ph.D. at Florida State um, and then took a bit of a path around and ended up at Alabama. Hmm. So could you give us an
0: elevator pitch on your research?
2: Sure. Um, I, first and foremost, I consider myself a researcher, like I said before, but a information theorist, um, there's not a lot of information theory, so that's kind of my thing. I like looking at developing theory. Um, I'm a social and behavioral researcher interested in socio-technical aspects of information. Um, so what are the human behaviors with information, information technology, um, And I think that's just fascinating because computers are just computers and systems are just systems. It's people that make them interesting.
0: Hmm. That's a great way to put it. I like that a lot. Well, and
1: I'm going to, I mean, so you basically gave us a headline right there that computers are computers and it's people that make things interesting. And can you, can you tell us a little bit more about, One of your findings related to that?
2: Well, yeah, actually, it's a recent one. Um, I I do research with a colleague at Emporia State University, and she does a lot of um, things in the area of medical information. But where we we come together is in everyday information seeking. So think about if you had a diagnosis um, and, you know, you walk out of the doctor's office and you get all this medical mumbo jumbo, and you just want to know, what is my life going to be like? Um, <laughs> cause that's really what it's about. How do I live with this every day? Um, so one of the areas we look at is vaccine, which is really exciting mm-hmm. right now, wow. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting. Um, so we just finished up, we wrapped up a project looking, um, prior to the COVID situation, because we mm-hmm. thought that would set a, a little less tumultuous base. Um, And one of the things we came up that was interesting is what we call, and this seems odd for a field and where we look at information, but it's called informationless behavior. So basically what it is, is when people share information, but they never say anything about where they heard it, where it came from, what the source is. And when you're in a forum discussing something, you think that would be important.
0: Yep. But you know what? On both
2: sides of the vaccine issue, they do this. But then they turn around and accuse each other of doing it without realizing they do it themselves. So a good chunk of this conversation is this stuff thrown out. And then they sit around and debate how people behave around information and communicating information. And there's very little about vaccine itself. You really have to call that that vaccine information out. So we call it information-less behavior. Like I, I said, humans bad. are what make it interesting. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, so then I have to ask, how did you get started doing this type of research?
2: Okay. Um, so that's interesting. Um, I, you know, out of the program, I did my PhD in at Florida State. Um, everyday information seeking was a big thing. Um, my major professor, Elfrida Chapman, that was really her her deal and her thing. And that's what she got her students into, which really, you know, fits a lot of information situations, um, is okay. We have these formal situations, but really what do we do every day for everyday people? So I happened to go back to Florida state and, um, do a a visiting lecture there. And in that process, I reconnected with a um, person who was doing a postdoc who I had known for a while, but kind of fell out of touch with, well, she happened to drive me to the airport and was letting me kind of know what was going on with her life and what she was doing and um, what she was looking at with vaccines. And we just kind of said, I said, Hey, I'd be really interested in looking at that with you. So at the time she went out to Emporia, she had landed a job there headed out there. And of course that, you know, we all know that's never easy starting somewhere where you're new. And um, so we just established, she sent me a paper and said, Hey, would you read over this before I submit it? And I read it. And then from there it just kind of grew um and so it's been a really interesting you know professional collaboration but also really good social support um and mm-hmm. and i like i like working with my colleagues at alabama but there's something about collaborating with somebody on the outside that keeps you kind of in check you know yes
0: you know. yes so
2: well, yeah, and I actually have two. There's two researchers I do that with, but but that's how we connected, and and we do a really interesting. We do a Pomodoro timer sessions every Monday for our research, and and we do like four hours. Uh, yeah, oh, we start at goodness. one in the afternoon. We set a timer for t- you know we kind of visit and catch up on each other for about ten minutes, and then we set a twenty minute timer. We work for 20 minutes. We talk about what we're going to do. We work for 20 minutes and then we stop and break for 10 minutes and kind of update. Well, what did you do? What did you do? Okay. Da, 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 da. And then we do another 20 minutes and we do this for about four hours. Um, yeah. And when we're working toward publication, we've been known to do it for six. We'll end at four hours and go, do you want to keep going? Or do you, you know, should we quit? And like, Hey, we're on a roll. Let's keep going. <laughs>
1: that's, that's really cool. And I want to, yeah. I want, to okay, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> actually, you know, it's a really good
2: process. It's something that ICR could do and, and be really great to bring doc students and you just, and you can do it live, you know, you can do it by zoom or when we can all get together, you can do it live, have people gather in a room. Um, I did this on a visiting professorship in Toronto with a group of people at Ryerson and said, wow, this really works. So productivity.
1: Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for ah, the sure. new idea. I, <laughs> and exactly.
2: then I'll tell you about how I work with yeah. my other collaborator, because that's a whole opposite thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. Well, yes. he actually is a videographer. That's what he's been in. And then before he went into information science, and now he does visual information. And um, I, I'm working on a book with him. Um, which kind of got put off with the whole COVID thing. We've been kind of derailed. But um, the way he works is in snippets. So we'll lay out what our, our topic areas are. And then what you do is like a one or two page brief on it. And then you share that and you develop it. So it becomes like maybe five, six pages, 10 pages. And, and I said, well, what do we do with all this? And he said, well, it's like mm-hmm. snippets of video where you, snip and edit and move something over here or you might move something that was way at the end toward the beginning or part of it and you you know just kind of chop it up and assemble it and i'm like yeah totally because wow. i'm very linear oddly in my thinking so this has been yeah. a real kind of turning on the ear but it's working and, and it really helps you be productive with a large topic like a book to break it down like that and do it so again, totally opposite of what I'm doing with my my co-researcher at Emporia, but they' really you know you think you've done learning and you never are yeah so true so
0: so, so laura
1: you you've mentioned that you work with A videographer on some research and a book project and then you are doing the vaccine study but but you're a a library (laughs) researcher so are we really going (laughs) to go down that path (laughs) well how do you manage the this intertwining of disciplines? well you know it's or even it's
2: interesting you say that um it's it really isn't you know information and libraries are Pretty much inextricable anymore. Used to be, you went to the library to get a book and check it out and read it, right? Um, And Mm -hmm. you look now, and information is all around us. You know, whether it's it's formal resources that we're pulling from, you know, a library's website, say through Scout, you know, at the University of Alabama, or whether it's somebody sharing their experience. Go back to that everyday information seeking thing and a medical issue. you know, that person sharing that in a private group, maybe on Facebook, is highly valuable, and that is information. Um, a- a- am I a librarian? Um, I was once a systems librarian before I went to get a Ph.D., oh. um, and so I set up the systems for a library, and, and it was actually my director um, in that job, you know, because they made me float to the reference desk and I hated that. God I hated that. Um, because you know, <laughs> I never knew what was going on. They'd shift, you know, shift to the stacks and I'm like, I don't know where anything is. Um and, you know, my director said one day, she goes, you know, you need to go get a PhD. And I said, Why she goes, you ask more questions at the reference desk than you answer. <laughs> 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 oh, well, okay. Um, so, you know, information is integral and central to libraries. Um, it's, it's the bigger thing. And um, so, you know, that's, that's one of the things we say, those of us in the library field is you can't just call it library research because we do way more than libraries. You know, sometimes my research mm. touches on libraries, but most of the time it's really just information. You know, and you know how that happened. What happened was post-World War II, the coders, the people who come out of computer science who were coders, went back into academe, went back to their departments and realized they didn't fit anymore because they had a very human aspect to information and they felt incredibly lost. They didn't belong. They kind of fractalized off from computer science and said, where do we go? And, you know, administrators were like, oh, what do we do with you people? (laughs) <laughs> um, and don't tell Dean Nelson that um and so they said you know what we're going to put you in with libraries because they just are kind of floundering in academe but we kind of see this connection mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so they put them in library science programs and turned them to library and information science and you know it's been that kind of going: are we library are we information and I have always kind of walked between. It's just everything I do. It seems mm. like I have a foot here, foot there. Um, like my latest research is really borrowing off of communication. Um, and so I, I'm an information researcher is really what it is.
0: Well, so I would like to go there and you've already addressed this a little bit, but just so that we can clarify this more for our listeners, can you tell our listeners more about kind of the teaching side to what you do because when you hear library and information studies I think that we hear library and we don't necessarily hear the information part and you've answered that really well but you're not teaching your students how to work at a reference desk so like and this is like Mm -hmm. casting a very wide net, but what do people in, you know, your school, what types of classes do you teach and what Ah, do students learn? Well, that's
2: interesting. We just revised a core course. It used to be, I really taught, um, when I came to Alabama, geez, how long has that been now? Um, I picked up this (laughs) history of kind of technology course. "Who, Who cares about the history? Can't do anything with that. So I turned it into a productive technology course where you learn the web pages and databases and stuff like that. Um, and then recently, Dr. Elmborg is really, and I appreciate this because this is really what I came out of moving us toward an information science track. And um, so we've redone the core course and teaching information science. And that's been a really great, great thing this semester. As a matter of fact, I was just grading final projects before we connected um, so it's really teaching students who are coming, and, and I think a lot of people come to University of Alabama's list thinking they're, they're librarians and that's what they're going to do. We have a handful that that know the information piece. So now they're getting a solid, what is information science? What does information mean? How do you define it? What is it? And then we get into it at some point in the semester, you know, are information in libraries the same? Can you work in a library with an information science concentration Um, so that's an interesting, has turned out to be a surprisingly interesting course. Other courses I teach are, um, I teach probably my favorite. Can I start with my favorite or should I, or should I put that at the end? Yes, of course. (laughs) So I do a, um, a human behavior course on cybersecurity. And oh, yeah, it's wow, a really, wow. I, I've taught it in, in the May semester And I actually now am, I'm thinking of keeping it in the May Um So it's the only thing I'm teaching at that time because it's really intense. And, you know, honestly, I have to tell you that it's been a great success. From what I understand, the students who are in their Facebook group, you know, like, I know I'll hear it again. A student will come to me this spring and go, oh, I want to sign up for your course this summer. It gets rave reviews, um, which You know, I like because you never know, you never know what they're talking about. But um, students take that course and we really delve into what's happening in that. You know, how do you keep somebody from hacking your system? It's not necessarily about that. It's not how do you hack a system, although they do learn that. So they see how simple it is. Um, But it's really what what goes on. What are the the fallouts from this for people and people in organizations? Um, I have them go look at a, a cybersecurity map. So it's a live map you go to and you see where the potential attacks and the attacks are happening from what country to what company, what the bounce throughs are. Um, Yeah, really, really super interesting. Um, But what I find, um, and I'm finding this more and more, and I don't know what will happen this May. um, Some students actually get to the point in that course about midway, which is two weeks, um, really disturbed, like almost on a meltdown. Situation. I've had a couple that are like mm. that because they're like, I don't know what to believe anymore, who to trust, you know, what to do. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> which is good. They learn this because they will deal with people <laughs> doing that. Uh-huh. So that's that's mm-hmm. a fun course. Um, and at the end, it's really interesting because they use it. They use their cell phone and they learn how to hack something. Yeah, oh, um, <laughs> we even do a do, do a little exercise. It was hard this last May because of quarantine. But usually, I have them go out in public and sit somewhere and just hone in on a person and just see them from a distance, don't hear them or anything, and see if they can figure out something about this person and figure out who they are. And you'd be surprised. Well, you know, think oh about it. If I walk down the street with a shirt that says Roll Tide, now you got to start, right? You, you, you get a start and then you go, mm-hmm. okay, well, where are you know, what if I'm on vacation somewhere and I'm doing that right. And so they come down and it's really interesting what, what they kind of, whether they truly figure it out or not is interesting, but um, what they come up with and what they can find out. I mean, you can snap a picture of this person. I never tell them to, but I've had people do that. Um, Wow. Okay. But then they do get into the privacy issues on that, you know, what, how it made them feel, but how they realize they can be a victim of that. So that's a course Um, I teach social media and informatics. There's a word for you. Informatics. Um, yeah, it's a little bit about what we've been talking about, but it's more of a systematic study. It's not just the human behavior, it's the data involved with information. Um, and then, gosh, what else do I teach? Oh, right now I'm teaching a social media for social justice course. Um yeah, this oh, is, from really ah. is the first time offering it. And it's really been interesting. Um, I think that's another one that's been emotionally taxing over a 16 week period students take on, I asked them at the beginning of the course, okay, I want you to pick a social justice passion you're interested in. But I also want you to identify a social justice issue in the community where you live, because you know, we have an online program, right? So mm-hmm. people are all over the place. In some, a few instances that overlapped, like Black Lives Matter. Um, But for a lot of them, it was different. And there were some kind of offbeat things. And so they went Mm -hmm. through this and they went through steps all semester of how to promote their cause on social media. But they also had to look at the opposing side to their cause, who was, you know, fighting against it. Uh And that kind of hit around midterm, which, you know, was interesting. Um, But I had a guy Mm. from Texas. Now get this, a guy from Texas, um, from backwoods, Texas. So we're talking, you can kind of get an idea here. Um, And he went off to undergrad in the Northeast and realized, wow, the whole world doesn't think like Mm. backwoods, Texas. Now I've lived in Texas, so I'm kind of, I'm getting this. Anyway, he um, brought up his social justice passion was male toxicity, Which, yeah, was a new thing. to me, and they had to explain it, right? They had to give a little spiel and explain what their passion was and what this cause is and define it and, you know, introduce it to their colleagues. And he talked about a Gillette commercial, I think, back a few years ago Mm -hmm. um, of these men in Iceland. And so Gillette, it was really interesting because as an outcome of this commercial of these men um, talking about how. Just what their presence has done in the world did two things. You know, it increased the sales of Gillette for, of course, Iceland in a few countries. But the sales went down in the United States because, <laughs> you know, men didn't want to know that wow. some of the problems they've created um, in the world. So that, you know, it was interesting to have a man in the class take that that on. Incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. So as an outcome, they're learning how to use and promote a cause through legitimate information on social media. Yeah. It's one. So none of those are about libraries. Yeah. We have (laughs) library students in there who, you know, (laughs) go, okay, I want to know how to do this. So when I'm in my public library in a particular community, they can promote that cause right through social media channel for their library. But this is not about libraries. Mm
1: -hmm. I'm getting so many ideas myself. I know. That's why I we know do this, this kind I'm of stuff, sure, right?
2: right? We have conversations. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. right. That's exactly right. So, laurie I want to ask you because um, this is something that I saw um, uh, on your Google Scholar page and something that you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. You mentioned that mm-hmm. you build theory. Um, and like, don't we have enough theory out there? Can you so? Can you tell our <laughs> learners a little bit about what that means, grounded theory, and what it means to be a scholar who is really developing? Okay, new that's so.
2: Theory? It's interesting you say, don't we have enough theory um, in communication? You guys have a lot of theory, and and I think that's an area where we mm-hmm. could strengthen ties between communication and information. I mean, to me, communication and information are inextricably mm-hmm. linked. I mean, what are you communicating? If you're not yep. communicating information, yep. and what is information if it doesn't get communicated, it's just stored somewhere, right? <laughs> so, um, I think yeah. that there's a lot. And as a matter of fact, I'm in the process right now of borrowing from a communication theory um, to develop an information theory. But I'll get to that in a minute. So, um, uh-huh. my I, I'll go back to Elfrida Chapman, my dissertation advisor. She was the the really the first the premier theorist in our field. And as she said to me back in, in my doctoral days, as she goes, so many people don't get what I do. She would have journal thing, you know, turned down all the time because people didn't understand what she did. She came out of Berkeley, um, which kind of explains it right there. Um <laughs> but she really <laughs> taught me what it means, you know, that your dissertation isn't about a topic. It's about testing theory. You know, testing and revising theory. Mm-hmm. And that just really fascinated me and worked well for me because, you know, if I did something with technology, it would be outdated very quickly. So she said to me, I said, someday I'm going to develop a theory about technology because she was a Luddite and she'd laugh and go, yeah, but but she'd talk about how long it would take till you really got to your first theory, Um, which she was an associate professor by the time that happened. And ironically, so was I. (laughs) And actually, it, this is really interesting <laughs> because so many of the people we recruit into the PhD concentration tend to be library. They they don't really, we're seeing more information mm-hmm. science, but, um, so I was invited to work with a student out at Emporia. <laughs> now there, there's that connection. Um, mm-hmm. And I essentially chaired her dissertation because nobody knew what she was doing at Emporia because they have... Probably even more of a library-focused program than we do at Alabama, um, but she used a emerging theory of mine called Kafkaes, um, and it looks at um, basically looking at how you can determine when information in a social media channel is legitimate. So, an example: she was working with weather. Okay, so she's working with these what they call on-the-ground reporters for weather, because they have, you know, tons of tornadoes out there like we do in Alabama. And so she took the elements from my theory on how you determine if information is credible and legitimate. And she worked with a um, group out in Wichita that, you know, are meteorologists. It's, it's a, a team of people that work together and how they decide what information they take off of social media to turn around and report through the official media channel to the public. And that was a really interesting dissertation um, because, you know, you have things like images, right? So like I said to her, well, you know, Mm -hmm. could I have taken an image in Alabama of a tornado, turn around a year later, visit it out in Kansas. And when I'm out there, just post this picture and say, Hey, there's a tornado out here. And somebody would look at my location service and go, Oh, look at that. When there really wasn't, it was Alabama. Mm -hmm. So that became the question of, well, how how do they look Mm -hmm. at images to determine, you know, is that legit? Right? That's just an example. Yeah. So she's been working with that theory. I continue to work with that theory looking at um, reviews online when people review services. So, like, my big thing is veterinary, how, how people who move to, say, a new place, don't know anybody need to find a veterinarian or go into a crisis mode of you know of their own health issue like a tooth you know needing a root canal or whatever how how do they find out and a lot of people turn now to social media for that Uh right Um, but how do they know who to trust because they're in what we would call an information desert you know of I don't know anybody and a lot of that kind of information is who you know how you know to trust and what the connections are with that so I continue to work with that theory, but the latest one comes out of this information behavior project I, I did earlier. Mm-hmm. We used, and I know you guys must know about this, mm-hmm. um, communication acts, right? So the, the three different kinds of acts mm-hmm. um, that people have with communication. And so mm-hmm. we analyzed the data looking at this. And then we realized as we looked at the data, we're like, so think about the information less behavior and not verifying the information or not providing where you found it, or was it your experience or, you know, who was it? And we think there are information acts. And people, I mean, and we, okay, so an example that's really obvious that we're not talking about is misinformation and disinformation, right? Disinformation is purposeful, intended to throw the person off track. Misinformation is just people who don't know and throw stuff out. And there might be a little bit of misinformation going on, in this Vax Forum, but we are thinking so many of people in information science think of information as a thing, something we store, something we retrieve, something they, mm-hmm. we use, when really in today's age, yeah. it's something that's being communicated. Yeah. And it's how that's being communicated, yeah. right? So you have a combination of, of content and the method by which it's communicated and what goes on around right before and right after that that makes the scene of will somebody trust this or not? Will somebody take up this information and use it or not? So we're right in the process Mm -hmm. right now, because we just published the other article, put it out for publication. So we're just now coming together and structuring this kind of seed theory on information act We're excited. We're excited about it. Um, Yeah. I think it's really timely. Um, so we'll we'll see but you know yeah. i kind of as we looked yeah. at it what occurred to me and it's and i'd like to share this with you guys um i feel like there's this chasm there's communication and there's information and and i kind of think of it in the structure of alabama you guys are over there at pfeiffer we're over there at gorgas and then there's this like big place between right <laughs> that negates proximity but then there's this understanding aren't you people library thing right well, it's like, okay, what are you doing over there? But That's I think right. that it also, that area between like the quad and all that, there's a metaphoric piece there that, that exists probably in any communication and mm-hmm. information program. There's communication there in front. Like you talked about, there's these disciplines. And I feel like Information Act falls right in the middle. Remember when I told you I always have my feet, too, in one yeah. place or the other, so I end up kind of with... With, if I can keep standing up, it's somewhere in, in between. <laughs> um, and I feel like this is that. Um, as a yeah. matter of fact, when yeah. we submit this one for publication, we will definitively recommend people in the communication discipline for review. Um, I think that's super important that, you know, I think people in the information area will get it. They may or may not agree with it, but they'll understand it. But the question becomes, what will the communication science people think? So maybe I'll throw it Mm -hmm. by you before Mm -hmm. we send it out. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, so shifting gears just a little bit, um, as I told you, we wanted to wrap this Mm -hmm. up on a little bit of a a fun note. As academics, we have the very good fortune of being able to travel to different countries or different cities um, to present our research and to talk to others about our research. So can you tell us one of the favorite places you've visited while presenting research or a place that you're kind of looking forward to visiting?
2: I've traveled quite a bit for conferences and and I have a lot of fun things. And I always make it a point to try to combine and do something fun um, when I visit somewhere. But probably the one that sticks out to me is Valencia, Spain. Um, it, 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 it ain't a, oh, yeah. well, you know what I liked <laughs> I is agree. it kind of had that <laughs> tropical thing going on, and I, I needed to get out of the Alabama winter <laughs> thing. Um, but it, it's a big area for cycling, and I'm a big cyclist, so that's a, a very popular area for cycling. Mm-hmm. And I only took like one day right before I left that afternoon when the conference ended and rented a bike, and unfortunately, it wasn't a road bike, um, it was something else, but I rode around. Um, And, you know, it was right on the coast. So that was beautiful. But I'll tell you what was really interesting. So each day, you know, they have a siesta time. So, you know, there's no conference stuff going on. So I would go out and jog. And most things were closed. But occasionally, you would pick up a restaurant owner or somebody that was out. And I would ask them, where do you eat? Where do you eat when you go out with your family? And so I, I really went off the beaten yeah, path and discovered yeah. a lot of great dishes because I enjoy cooking. Um, so experience experienced that, that, that part of it, the, the real people side. But what was really interesting combined with my profession was, so it was the International Society of Knowledge Organization, ISCO, was the conference I was printing it, presenting at. And so it was kind of like being at the UN. You're up there. You're presenting in English, right? But they're (laughs) translating it into Spanish. Now I'm fluent in Spanish. (laughs) Wow. And and this became really difficult for me because I'm saying something in English and I'm hearing it go on in Spanish, right?
0: It's
2: because they have you have these headphones on. And finally, (laughs) in the middle of the presentation, I could not do it anymore. And I'm sure I was like stammering. And finally, I took it off and I said, "Can I just present this thing in Spanish?" they all looked and kind of, and I just, that's what I did. I took my slides and I just, and, and it was like, awesome. but then I realized presenting it in Spanish. It's like, wow, you know how I don't, cause part of it was throwing me is when they were translating it. I don't think the translation totally connected, you know, there's like, there's much to be lost in translation, <laughs> um, but that was a really fun, right? fun place to visit. People were just so nice. Um, that whole Mediterranean area was really cool. Mm-hmm. And if East Coast ever happens again, I would definitely put in. <laughs> um, did you that one again? I recommend anybody <laughs> else do it too. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Well, Lori, it has been a true pleasure getting to talk to you. Um, thank you so much for sharing with our listeners more about who you are and what you do and really breaking down information studies well thank you for giving me the opportunity I always enjoy
2: chatting with my colleagues over in communications it's always refreshing and uh, I I hope that this new work I'm doing brings me over that way a little bit more
1: thank you good talking to you thank
0: you thank you